Our sermon passage this morning closes out the second chapter of the book of Philippians. And so we will begin at verse 19 and read through verse 30 for our sermon passage. Uh, just a few chapters, uh, sorry, a few books forward in the New Testament, however, is our scripture reading or where our scripture reading is taken from. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verses 13 to 18. So our scripture reading is 1 Corinthians 16, 13 to 18. Our sermon passage is Philippians 2, 19 to 30. So let us first turn to 1 Corinthians 16, 13 to 18. Brothers and sisters, this is the very word of God. You would do well to give ear unto it, to listen, for it is God speaking to you. Be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong. Let all that you do be done in love. Now I urge you, brothers, you know that the household of Stephanas were the first converts in Achaia. And that they have devoted themselves to the service of the saints. Be subject to such as these and to every fellow worker and laborer. I rejoice at the coming of Stephanas and Fortunatus and Achaicus. Because they have made up for your absence. For they refreshed my spirit as well as yours. Give recognition to such men. Now turning to Philippians 2, 19-30. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father he has served with me in the gospel. I hope therefore to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death. But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but also on me, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, and you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor, such men. For he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Thus ends the reading of God's most holy word. Let us pray. Our gracious God, we pray both for your blessing upon your word. It has been read to us. It is ringing in our minds now. We pray, Lord, that you would bless it unto us. We pray as well, dear Lord, for the preaching of your word. Help us to hear. Help us to apply. Help us to live according to your word. And specifically, O Lord, this word that is preached today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, as you are well aware, we've been now in the book of Philippians since the early part of the year. 
we're now finishing up on the first two chapters of the book. And as you're aware, at various points so far in this book, so far in these first two chapters of Philippians, Paul has expressed his great love for the saints in that church. And he has commended them for their sacrificial giving of themselves and their resources to support his missionary work. He has, in no uncertain terms, expressed his great love for the Philippians to the Philippians. He doesn't always do that in his books. You Remember, if you've read through uh, the letters to the Corinthians, his words to them aren't as glowing as they are to the Philippians. There are other churches in which his letters are glowing, but not as glowing as they are here. He loves these brothers and sisters very dearly. Now, to be sure, he has challenged them. He's given them a number of commands in the previous verses that we've read, uh, such as to do all things without grumbling or complaining. But overall, the tone of his letter is one of encouragement and thankfulness. He is thankful to God, as he said in the opening verses. He's thankful to God for them. And that tone continues in our passage this morning. Now, you recall that one of the occasions for Paul sending the letter to the Philippians is that he had a courier to take this letter back to them, Epaphroditus, whom they had sent to him to be a companion to him during his imprisonment. And in this passage this morning, Paul tells the Philippians that he's sending Epaphroditus back, but he's got to explain why. Sending Epaphroditus to Paul was extremely thoughtful, and it was also a huge sacrifice on Epaphroditus' part. But now Paul's sending him back, and he needs to be very careful in how he explains why Epaphroditus is coming back to them. Is he rejecting Epaphroditus? Has Epaphroditus failed in some way? That's the concern that Paul wants to allay with this portion of the letter. But in addition to sending Epaphroditus back to them, Paul was also hoping to send Timothy to them soon. Now Paul here is not engaging in some kind of a quid pro quo. You scratched my back, so I'll scratch your back type of arrangement. But he does wish to express his gratitude for the Philippians having sent Epaphroditus to him, and so he wants to send Timothy to them. Epaphroditus has ministered to him. He wants Timothy to minister to them. His desire to send Timothy also, we can be assured, comes out of a concern to see the division in the church repaired. And Paul is confident that Timothy will be a great help to them. In that regard. Now, the first verse in our passage, verse 19, in this first verse, Paul tells the Philippians, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news of you. He's going to send Timothy to them. Timothy will be with them for a time, and then Timothy will return. And and that way, Paul can be cheered in the report that Timothy gets from him. Now, in the previous two verses, Paul told the Philippians that he is glad and that he rejoices and that they should be glad and rejoice with him. And now he wishes to be cheered by news from the Philippians when Timothy returns to him from this as yet in the future visit. And then in in verse 20, Paul begins to commend Timothy to the Philippians. He says to them, for I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. Now, you remember this if you were here years ago when we went through the second letter that Paul wrote to Timothy. And in that letter, we saw how much Paul loved this young man. He was a a spiritual son to Paul. Paul esteemed him greatly. 
Paul used him over and over again in various churches to minister to those churches, to pastor those churches. Timothy was a a pastor in uh, the church at Ephesus for a time. And so Paul says, I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. But a rougher but more literal translation of the first part of that verse, for I have no one like-minded with me. The word translated like-mind is a compound of two words, equal and sold. And so Paul and Timothy, Paul is saying they are same-sold. And this is why Paul trusts Timothy the way that he does. But this also, this verse, verse 20, it begins to show that, that Timothy is coming and that this visit that Timothy is coming on, it's not a social visit. It's not so that Timothy can hang out with people that he knew that he's known for years and years. Although certainly Timothy has known these people for years and years and he loves them greatly. He's making a pastoral visit. He's coming, Paul is is implying here. He's hinting that Timothy is coming to minister among them, to minister to them, to preach the word. That word which Paul says is good for reproof and rebuke for correction, for training up in righteousness. Now, a common response by those who have been challenged to live in a Christ-like way is that, of course, Christ could be perfectly obedient because He is God. He is perfect in every way. And so, in Paul's commendation of Timothy and of Epaphroditus as well, which which is coming, he is showing the Philippians that these two men are truly following Christ in word, thought, and deed. Now, why would Paul be sending these men? He's he's commending them. They are exemplars. They are examples for the people. And that's why Paul is is setting them up in the way that he is. That's why he's using the language that he's using. He's just told them to have the mind of Christ. He's told them to give up themselves in humility. And and, and a response to that. You've probably heard this. We, we, we shy away from, from holding Jesus up only as an example to us, but He is an example to us. He is our leader. We are to follow Him. We are to emulate Him. He's more than that. He's our Savior. And because He's our Savior, we can follow Him. We can emulate Him. We can't say, well, Jesus is God. Of course He can do these things. I'm not God. I can't do these things. Don't expect those things of me. But Paul... When he commends these men, he's commending them for the purpose of these people, the Philippians, following these men. And this this runs counter to the thinking that if I can't be perfectly obedient to God's commands, then why should I try at all? Paul is saying, in effect, you are to have the same mind as Christ. You are to do all things without grumbling or disputing. You are to rejoice and be glad. And if you're not sure how to do those things, I'm going to send Timothy and Epaphroditus to you as examples how to do these things. Now some of you can learn things by simply reading how to do things on a page. Some of you need people to show you. That's very much the way I am. And the Christian life is is like that, at least to a certain degree. What does it mean? What does it look like? How, How do I have the same mind as Jesus Christ? Paul is saying, these men who are coming your way very soon, they can show you. 
In the words of one commentator, these two men exemplify what sacrificial service looks like. That's what Paul is calling the Philippians to. That's what they've been engaging in for years, but he's calling them to even more, higher form of sacrificial service. And so if Paul can't be there in person, then Timothy is the man he wants there in his place. As he says in the second half of verse 20, Timothy will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. Timothy will put their interests before his own, which is what Paul says by way of contrast in verse 21. For they all seek their own interests, not, of those, not those of Jesus Christ. But Timothy won't, that's what he's saying. Everybody else does. If I were to send someone else to you, they would seek their own interests. They would uh, seek uh, stature and position and authority and power. But Timothy's not going to do this. There are many people who view the church as a repository, as a place where they can get things, as a place where they can be on the receiving end. That, that's true for, for folks in the pews. That's, that's true for, for people in the pulpits. That's true for people who come knocking on the doors as solicitors, wanting money, wanting something, wanting your business. They see the church as a place or, or churches as a place where they can get stuff. And we do have needs. Each of us has needs. And certain needs that we have, only Christ's church is able to meet. But the church is also, and this is its primary purpose, the place where we render unto the Lord, where we give unto the Lord. And what we give to the Lord is service. What we give to the Lord is worship. That's the primary the primary thing that we give to the Lord is our worship. But we also render unto the Lord service to others. And speaking about Timothy, Paul is echoing what he told the Philippians back in chapter 2, verse 4. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. He's commanded them to do that back in verse 4. And now he's saying, Timothy is one who does this, who will do this in your midst. Watch him. Observe. Learn. And then Paul acknowledges the fact that the Philippians know Timothy quite well. He's saying these things. You could be forgiven for, for thinking for a moment that, well, the Philippians don't know who Timothy is, or at least there's a new uh, a pharaoh in Egypt who knows not Joseph. It may be that there's been turnover in the church. They don't know Timothy. But Paul is saying, no, you, you do know Timothy. He says in verse 22, you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father he has served with me in the gospel. And this is because Timothy was with Paul the very first time that Paul stepped foot on European soil. The very first time he ministered to Europeans in Philippi. The very first time there were converts on European soil. Timothy was there. But that wasn't the only time Timothy was in Philippi. Timothy had visited Philippi numerous times in those intervening years. 12 to 13, 14 years. Possibly as many as 6 or 7 times in total over the intervening years. Timothy has dropped in. He's stopped by. He's checked in with them. He's ministered among them. And so when Paul says that they know Timothy's proven worth, he's not being merely rhetorical. He truly is Paul's spiritual son. It will be as close to having Paul among them as is possible. When Paul says that Timothy has served with him in the gospel, this is the same phrase that Paul used in chapter 1, verse 5, to describe the partnership that the Philippians have had with him. The Philippians have served Paul 
in the gospel, served with Paul in the gospel. Timothy serves with Paul in the gospel. Timothy, it is hoped, will come to them and it will do them good to have him with them in Philippi for a time. And Paul says in verse 23 that he hopes to send Timothy to them as soon as he finds out what is going to happen to him. Meaning when he gets the verdict of the trial. He's trusting in the Lord, he says in verse 24, that he will be able to come to them as well. Here's Paul saying, I'm hoping to come to you as well. So that his expectation is that his trial will end with him being set free. And you remember, he said back in chapter 1, verses 24 and 25, but to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and will continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith. Paul, Paul's confident that he's going to visit the Philippians too. He's convinced that the Lord would have him work more among the Philippians, and so he expects to be released and to visit them sometime in the near future. And then in verse 5, there, there's a shift. He's been talking about Timothy. He's talking about his hopes to be able to come and visit them. And now he tells them that he's sending Epaphroditus back to them. Just as he committed Timothy to them, he also commends Epaphroditus. Now, as you know, if you have sent letters of communication, if you have sent emails, if you have sent texts, if you have sent emojis, you know that those various forms of written communication, whether they are in uh, letters or pictographs, they are very difficult. It's very difficult to convey clearly what you are trying to say. What's the percentage of communication is nonverbal? It's a very high percentage. I don't remember. You probably know, but it's a high amount. It's a, it's a high percentage of, of communication between people as they're standing and talking to one another that's nonverbal. And Paul is trying to communicate to them the reasons now why Epaphroditus is coming back, why Paul is sending him back. Paul does not want the Philippian church to think for an instant that there is any bad cause for him returning Epaphroditus to them. He's very concerned that they not take Epaphroditus' return in that way. Paul writes, I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier and your messenger and minister to my need. Now, verse 25 should make it clear to the Philippians that he's not sending Epaphroditus back to them because of some kind of problem, some kind of issue that arose between them or with Epaphroditus or that Epaphroditus in any way is a failure. He calls Epaphroditus his brother. He calls Epaphroditus his fellow worker. He calls Epaphroditus his fellow soldier. He says that Epaphroditus is their messenger, in other words, the one that they sent to him and his minister in his need. Paul is making it clear that Epaphroditus has been nothing but a gift to Paul. But Paul gets to the reason as to why he's sending Epaphroditus back to them in verses 26 and 27. He says there, For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death, but God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but also on me, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. Epaphroditus had become so ill while he was with Paul in Rome that he nearly died. And once he recovered, he was very concerned because the Philippians had, had heard, word had gotten to them 
that Epaphroditus had fallen ill. And so Paul wants them to see Epaphroditus in the flesh, to see that he is well, so that they can have the same sense of relief that Paul had when Epaphroditus recovered from this illness. However, as with sending Timothy to them at some point in the future, Paul also wants them to have back in their midst one of their own who has the mind of Christ. Sinclair Ferguson writes about Epaphroditus, Here then was a Christian to be emulated. When we see that the Christian life is fellowship, hard work, spiritual conflict, and service of our fellow believers, then we are more likely to do all things without grumbling or questioning. Paul is a brother. Epaphroditus is a brother to Paul. He has experienced deep fellowship with Paul. Epaphroditus is a hard worker. He's a co-laborer. With Paul. Epaphroditus has engaged in spiritual conflict as a fellow soldier with Paul. Paul wants the Philippians to know these things about Epaphroditus. It is more necessary in this time of division to have among them a person who exhibits selflessness than it is for Paul to have Epaphroditus ministering to him. Epaphroditus ministered to Paul. It's true, Paul needed that. But the Philippians now need it. And so Paul is sending him back. And Paul writes in verse 28, I'm, I'm the more eager to send him therefore that you may rejoice at seeing him again and that I may be less anxious. Paul is saying he's anxious here. Paul, don't be anxious. Paul, the apostle of Jesus Christ, is expressing this anxiety that he's had over the Philippians feeling Feelings about Epaphroditus falling ill over Epaphroditus' concern that the Philippians are concerned, worried about him. Verses 29 and 30 say, So receive him in the Lord with all joy, and honor such men. For he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Once again, Sinclair Ferguson in his commentary, he wonders if some of the, of the Philippian believers might feel that Epaphroditus was a spiritual failure. Or perhaps Paul feared for Epaphroditus' good reputation and the future acceptance of his ministry in Philippi. If, if Epaphroditus comes back to the Philippian church, and somehow, for some wrong reason, they see his ministry to Paul as a failure... What will that do to his standing among his brothers and sisters there in Philippi? And so it may be for these reasons that Paul here in verse 20, he commands the Philippians to receive him and to honor him. Those are commands. They're in the imperative. Receive him and honor him. And then he reminds them in verse 30 why they ought to, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. They must receive Epaphroditus. They must honor him because he nearly died in the service of Jesus Christ. Now, in our cynical age, there's a large portion of society that doesn't believe people should be given any kind of honor. Not people in general, but especially not those who serve Jesus Christ. Don't expect the world to applaud you when you tell them, when you tell your unbelieving friends, your unbelieving neighbor, that you, are not, that you are a Christian, that you're a follower of Christ. Don't expect that any longer. The world is a-changing. But Paul understands that Epaphroditus should be honored because he has been working for Christ. 
When Paul is commending the household of Stephanus to uh, the, the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 16, he tells the Corinthians to give recognition to such people. Now, recognition in 1 Corinthians 16 and honor in Philippians 2, they're not the same word, and yet the idea behind them is similar. We can recognize, we can honor servants of Christ in such a way that it glorifies Christ. Honoring our brothers and sisters for their service to the Lord. It doesn't rob glory from Jesus if we do it in the right way. If we do it in a way that glorifies Christ. And that's just it. The Philippians sent Epaphroditus to Rome to be of service to Paul. But Paul is telling the Philippians that Epaphroditus was in fact serving the Lord. He had been rendering service to the Lord. Now, NATO, the North Atlantic Treaty Organization, it holds to what it calls the principle of collective defense, which means, in the words of their own website, an attack against one ally is considered as an attack against all allies. What Paul is saying here is something akin to that principle, but much more profound. An act of service to one member of the body of Christ is an act of service to Christ himself. Remember what, Paul, what Jesus said to Saul before he became widely known as Paul. Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Jesus regarded an attack on his body as an attack on himself. Conversely, service to a member of Christ's body is service to Christ himself. The last phrase in verse 30, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. It has at least a couple of interesting points that we ought to consider here as we bring this sermon to a close. First, it shows Epaphroditus' selflessness in the fact that he was willing to take a huge risk in coming to Paul. He left his, his family, he left his home, he went alone. We don't know how old Epaphroditus is. He went to a city where his father in the faith, a spiritual mentor, a missionary, is imprisoned because of his faith. And then he gets sick to the point of, of death. Epaphroditus was selfless. He took on these risks. He did not know what might happen to him. But brothers and sisters, risk-taking is not just for ministers and missionaries. When you become a servant of the Lord, there is no telling where he might take you or what he might ask you to do. You are, after all, serving the sovereign Lord who rules over the entire universe. You serve at the pleasure of the king. And service to your king may mean that your life is imperiled in one sense. Service to your king may mean that your life is brought to an end in one sense. But in another sense, there is no safer place than in the hands of the king, the sovereign God of the universe. That's the first point to consider. The second point to consider is what Paul says at the end. That Epaphroditus came to complete what was lacking in their service to him. Now, it, it, when you read through this, you may take this as, is Paul, is he slighting the Philippians here? Is he 
Is he saying that despite all of these things that, that Paul has, has said they've done, they just haven't done enough? They've fallen short. You could read it that way. It's possible to read it that way. But it shouldn't be taken that way. Not in the overall context of this letter. It should not be taken as an insult directed against the Philippians. As one commentator put it, it, should, it could simply be a way of Paul stating that Epaphroditus has supplied what they were unable to provide Paul. They lacking the opportunity to help Paul until this time. But the fact is, if they are in serving Paul by extension serving Christ, then they will never get to an end point in their service to the Lord. There is always a sense in which our service to the Lord is lacking. It's not complete. And brothers and sisters, it won't be completed on that day when you're taken to be with the Lord. You still will have service to render unto Him. It doesn't end. You don't get to lay about fat and happy in heaven. We'll still be serving the Lord there. That's what the nature, that is the nature of that to which we have been called. We have been called to be servants of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're not slaves in the sense that He is cracking a whip over our heads and we're scurrying about in fear because of Him. We're His brothers and sisters. But we are to serve Him. Our service comes as a grateful response to the fact that Jesus Christ has set us free from our slavery. We do have a new master. But He's not a taskmaster. He's not a slave owner. He doesn't doesn't drive us with hatred and anger. We are His brothers and sisters. And so in one sense, the greatest risk that was ever taken was that which was taken by the Son of God, in one sense. The outcome was fixed. But in one sense, the greatest risk that that we've ever heard of was what the Son of God did. When? Not counting equality with God, something to be grasped, to be clung to. He gave it up. He denied himself. He became human. He made himself nothing. He took the form of a servant. He was born in the likeness of men. This same Son of God humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even the most accursed, hated kind of death that there was to the Jews, death by hanging on a tree. He died on a cross. That's the greatest risk in one sense that was ever taken. But it led to the greatest possible outcome. He did this for the purpose of setting you and me free. Such lowly service was not too low for him. He didn't just nearly die like Epaphroditus did. He died. He was dead for three days. He was in the grave. He was so dead that they didn't need to break his bones because he was dead. He did more than Epaphroditus ever did. If they ought to honor such men as Epaphroditus, Timothy, how much more ought we to honor the Lord Jesus Christ? We honor him with our service. 
And brothers and sisters, there will never come a day when our service to Jesus Christ will be made complete. Never. Not here on earth, not in heaven, not on the new earth. There'll never be a day. We're not trying to pay Him back. But we are gratefully serving the Lord for the fact that He came and served us. And that, brothers and sisters, that's good news. That's the gospel. Amen. Let us pray. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, we thank You that in the fullness of time You sent Your only begotten Son that He, in addition to being the Son of God, became the Son of Man. That He took unto Himself a true body and a reasonable soul. We thank You for His selfless sacrifice, His service on our behalf. We pray, dear Lord, that we might look unto Him as our Savior, but also as one whom we can follow an example of. We pray, dear Lord, that we might look to men, such as Timothy and Epaphroditus and Paul and so many others, dear Lord, as those whom we can emulate, to imitate them as they have imitated Christ. We pray, dear Lord, that You would raise people up in Your church whom others can imitate insomuch as they imitate Jesus Christ. Lord, we thank you for Christ's service to us. And we pray, dear Lord, that we might consider it our great duty to serve him. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.